Well, good morning, RK. It's official now. Spring has arrived. Uh, it's also Palm Sunday, so Easter is only uh, one more week away. And today is going to be our final look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And since I started it, I get to finish it. Now, it'll be very easy to just skip over uh, these these final verses, verses 10 to 23. Um, but I think they're important because they reinforce what Paul has just said in verse 9. Uh, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So what do we learn from Paul in these closing verses? So three things. There's always three things. Firstly, Paul's contentment. And that's verses 10 to 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, it's good to remind ourselves of Paul's situation uh, when he wrote this letter. If you remember, he was under house arrest in Rome. He was chained to a Roman guard. He had no freedom to move around. He was awaiting trial for his life. Um, And some of the local church leaders had organised a smear campaign against him. His reputation was being attacked. Uh, and he was also materially poor. He had no possessions or money. He probably had to pay uh, his own rent, though. So he was dependent on the goodwill of others. And when the church in Philippi had heard of his plight, um, they uh, sent a gift with Epaphroditus, uh, who then became ill and almost died. And that caused Paul great emotional turmoil. So these, all this is going on. Uh, for Paul. And yet when we read the letter, we witness the words of a triumphant and joyful Christian, uh, one who is able to lift others up, a man who is content in all circumstances. That's what he says in, in verse 11. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then in verse 12, he calls it a secret. He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. <clears throat> So that suggests that few people find it. So what then is the secret of contentment, according to the Apostle Paul? Well, uh, firstly, he's learned to rejoice in the Lord. Now, once again, there's a reference to rejoicing uh, that keeps cropping up, doesn't it, in this letter? But verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. He knows that his happiness is not dependent on circumstances, but on the fact that he's known and loved by God. The source and the ground of his joy is the Lord Jesus himself. But then secondly, he acknowledges that he's had to learn it there in verse 12. Uh, I've learned the secret of contentment. It didn't come naturally. It's not something he learned at uh, at university or um, under Gamaliel, the the Jewish rabbi uh, who schooled him in Jerusalem. He didn't learn it from him. No, he learned it through being a disciple of Christ through his experience of life as a believer. 
he's learned to be content with his lot in life. <clears throat> and I think this is because um, contentment is a sign that we trust in the sovereignty of God. I think that's the key here. Contentment is a sign that we're trusting in the sovereignty of God. Uh, so it's the practical outworking of that verse in Romans 8, 28, uh, which says, in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. To be content shows that we really believe that. We believe God is at work in our circumstances. That we believe God loves us and that he's always working for our best or for our good. I am where I am because God has put me here uh, and this is his best for me right now. So to be content is to know that we have everything we need, not necessarily in ourselves, but uh, but in God. Now, here, um, particularly, Paul is referring to his material circumstances. He's saying that his contentment level is not affected by his material circumstances. He's not influenced by wealth or by poverty. That's what he says in verse 12. Uh, and he's saying that all the resources that he needs are found in Jesus. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, that's a famous verse, verse 13. Uh, we often call it a, a promise box verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But that's not actually what it says. It says I can do all this um, through him who gives me strength. Older translations said all things. Uh, this is the 2011 version of the NIV, uh, which has changed it to I can do all this, which makes it clear that the reference is to Paul's previous statement. He's saying that God has given him the ability to be content in every situation, um, whether of need uh, or of plenty. Whatever his material circumstances, he is content in the Lord. Uh, so we have to be aware of misapplications of this verse. It doesn't say that I can literally do anything. Um, I cannot perform impossible physical feats. I cannot fly. I did have a dream once where I was flying, uh, but I cannot do that in real life and I will not be attempting to do so anytime soon. Um, nor am I free to sin. Nor does this verse relieve me of responsibility to, to live a life worthy of the gospel. But I can live my life uh, knowing that whatever difficulties come my way, God's power is greater. There is no temptation too strong, no trial too difficult, no opposition too powerful. But God gives the strength to endure. Paul's God is our God. He hasn't changed. And we can know joy and contentment in our situation as long as we continue to look to him, to trust him, to follow him, to worship him, serve him and obey him. And our joy will increase the more Christ fills our souls. Jesus himself said, seek first my kingdom. And then everything else will be added unto you. God will take care of your material needs, but put him first and find your joy and contentment in him. So that's the first thing we learn from Paul, 
is his contentment. Secondly, his gratitude, verses 14 to 19. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's gratitude. <clears throat> well, we know from chapter one that Paul was grateful for uh, their partnership in the gospel. And from the very beginning, when Paul had first gone there to plant a church, he'd enjoyed a really close relationship um, with the Philippians as they worked side by side in the cause of the gospel, despite fierce opposition. And even when Paul moved on, the church of Philippi continued to support him financially. That's what he's referring to here, particularly in verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> And over the years, as Paul uh, travelled about, his relationship with the Philippians had become more distant. However, in recent times, they'd heard about his plight uh, and they sent this gift via Epaphroditus. And that's what Paul is referring to there in verse 10, when he, when he says, you've renewed your concern for me. You've always cared about me, he says. Um, but it was great when your concern manifested itself as tangible help in the form of a financial gift. It was just like the old days when you used to support me. So Paul here is talking about the connection between gospel ministry and financial support, financial giving, because the two things go together. Um, gospel ministry needs financing. It doesn't just happen. Someone has to pay for it. And, and Paul uses business words here to describe gospel work. He talks about being partners together. Um, he describes the financial gift as fellowship. He talks about giving and receiving as receipts and accounts. Now, he's not reducing ministry to a crass financial calculation, but there is a sense in which giving to gospel ministry is a, is a wise investment. Um, and the, the, uh, the gift that they gave to Paul um, kept Paul going uh, when he moved on uh, and, and, and helped plant the church there in Thessalonica. But what Paul was really interested in was not any financial reward, but the spiritual benefit uh, for the Philippians. In verse 17, uh, where he says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's not talking about more money. Um, he's, he's talking about more uh, spiritual growth. Because when you invest your money in gospel enterprise, you are storing up treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 20. And then Paul goes on to talk about the gift he received from Epaphroditus in terms of Old Testament sacrifice language 
Uh, you see it there in verse 18, uh, where he talks about a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So here you see that giving is also an act of worship. It's not just about supporting uh, gospel work. It's also an act of worship. Uh, it's not just about meeting material needs. It's a sacrifice that we give to God. And that's why in some churches, um, it's, it's the, the offering is often done with a certain amount of reverence and ritual. Um, it's not something we do at Redeemer King. I don't think we've ever passed offering plates or bags around the congregation. Um, and we don't make a big deal of it. But um, like any church, we are totally dependent on uh, the giving and the generosity of, of you, uh, the, the members. Um, but more than just meeting the needs of gospel workers, uh, our giving brings pleasure to God. And out of his own sense of gratitude, Paul makes this promise in verse 19, says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> um, he's basically saying there that God gives to everyone in accordance with his riches in terms of him being a generous and a good father. But notice that it says God will meet all your needs, not your wants. There's lots of things we want. It doesn't necessarily mean God is going to give them to us, but he knows what we need and we can trust him for that. Give and it will be given to you, says Jesus. God loves a generous giver. So Paul's gratitude for the Philippians generosity. And then uh, finally, Paul's affection, verses 21 to 23. Uh, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So he ends his letter with characteristic final greetings. It'd be easy just to dismiss these as mere formalities. But I think they reveal something of Paul's heart for his fellow believers. The first greeting is from Paul to the Philippians themselves. Uh, in verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's personal greeting to every individual believer uh, in the Philippian church. Um, he's conveying his affection uh, for them and expressing his love for them. And it's not to them as a group, it's to every individual. And then he extends the greeting. Uh, he says, all the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Now, we don't know exactly who was with Paul at this moment, but we do know a number of people who were in Rome um, in or around the time that, that Paul was there in prison. Um, and it's quite an impressive list of people, actually. We can do some detective work from other parts of the New Testament and uh, come up with quite a list. So there's Tychicus, uh, who was the messenger of Paul's other prison epistles, uh, Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, Philemon and Onesimus, the runaway slave, they might have been there. Um, Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner. Uh, Justus and Epaphras are uh, mentioned elsewhere. And interestingly, Mark, 
and Luke, two of the gospel writers, were also with Paul in Rome at various times. And I quite like the idea that at some stage they went to visit Paul. And Paul said something about, you know, we've got to uh, get the life of Jesus written down. Someone's got to write a gospel. And uh, Mark and Luke were perhaps commissioned uh, to do that. Um, it's an intriguing thought anyway. But my point is that there's a solidarity in the gospel. For Paul, it really did mean something. These relationships in the kingdom were absolutely fundamental um, and kept him going, really. Um, we're all one in Christ Jesus, and Paul treats his fellow believers with, with affection. Um, and then the greeting extends from all the believers in Rome, not just the ones who are with Paul, who visited him in prison, but all the believers in Rome. The circle is expanding. Um, and at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans 16, there's a long list of, of names there of people who are part of the church in Rome. Um, even though Paul had never actually been to Rome, he knew all about them, knew many of them by name. <clears throat> and then finally, he singles out members of Caesar's household. Um, these would have been people who'd been converted um, through Paul's imprisonment. Remember, he said, that even in chains, the gospel was advancing. And the Philippians would have been greatly encouraged by that, um, with the knowledge that the gospel was going right to the center of power. Is Paul in a Roman prison and members of Caesar's household, the ruling uh, elite, are hearing the gospel. Um, how amazing is that? So here we have, uh, this final part of Philippians, then uh, Paul says, learn from me, my contentment, my gratitude and my affection. <clears throat> but then as the letter draws to a close, uh, there's a final doxology in verse 20 and a final blessing in verse 23. So let me just close with those. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All glory goes to God. Why? Why is that? What sort of God have we met in Philippians? Just a quick recap. Well, he's the God of all persevering grace. Chapter one, verse six. Remember, the God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's the God who never gives up on us. He will finish what he started. Um, he's the God of sanctifying grace. Uh, chapter two, verse 13. <clears throat> uh, is the God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his God, his good purpose. Uh, this is the God who's at work in our lives, uh, transforming us, making us more like Christ. He's the God of justifying grace. Now remember in chapter three, verse nine, the God who makes us righteous through the cross. Um, and then we saw last time he's the God of all comforting peace. Remember, when we bring our anxieties to God, God draws near to us, the God of peace. And then finally, he's the one who supplies all our needs. Um, chapter four, verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. For all these reasons and many more, 
He is worthy of our praise forever and ever. Remember who God is. And then the final blessing is a reminder that everything is of grace. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. <clears throat> he began the letter with a reference to God's grace and he ends with it too. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited and unlimited favour in the lives of his people. It's the wellspring and the heartbeat of the Christian life. We have received his justifying grace. We need his sanctifying grace in our spirits now. From start to finish, it's all about grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we rejoice. Amen. Let me just close with Paul's prayer from chapter one. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.